Scripture reading is 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. We're going to begin today a series of messages that will take us through the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he and his colleagues had planted a few years before in the Greek city of Corinth. And when you read uh, 1 Corinthians, you almost immediately discover that the church in Corinth was a deeply troubled church. They had all kinds of internal problems. For example, you find that their congregation had divided into different factions and cliques that were all competing with each other to see which one was the most spiritual. And there were church members in conflict with each other who were actually suing each other in a court of law. And there were some very serious sins uh, taking place in the lives of some of the congregants, and everyone knew about it, but nobody wanted to, to face it or deal with it. So there are all these kinds of problems in their church. And, and, and more than anything, when you read 1 Corinthians, you discover that the basic problem in their church was just a, it was a general lack of love. In chapter 11, we'll read of, of rich people in the church who were uh, very apathetic about the needs of the poor. Um, church members. And in, in, uh, in chapter 12, you read of, of talented people in the church who are very dismissive of those in the congregation whom they viewed as less gifted than they were. And then uh, in chapter 13, perhaps the most famous chapter in this, this whole book, the great love chapter of the Bible, the apostle tells this church in Corinth that, that um, nothing they accomplish together as a congregation, nothing they accomplish matters if they don't learn to love each other. So, so you'll find out this was, this was a church that was a, very, it was, a, it was a very troubled congregation. And here is what's weird, all right? You would never guess any of that from these opening verses of, of the book, would you? I mean, if, listen, if all we had of 1 Corinthians was just the first nine verses of, of the book, you would think, man, that must have been the best church in the whole world. It, it, it says this, I, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus, for in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. That sounds like a great church. That sounds like a church I would like to join. What do you think, right? So here's my question I want to explore today. Why? Even though Paul knew about all the problems in their church, 
He's writing in, in response to some reports he's heard about their problems. Why, even though he knows this, why does Paul begin this letter on such a positive note? Why does he have nothing but just powerfully beautiful, victorious things to say uh, about them? Is he just flattering them, maybe? Or is it just, it's just, just a formality you say things like this? No. Here's, here's why I think he's doing this. Before, before Paul talks to them about their shortcomings and their sin, Paul reminds them of something that's greater than their sin. Something greater than their sin. He reminds them of who they were in Christ, in Christ Jesus. Look, look at verse 2. He says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ. They, they were in Corinth, but they were also in Christ. They'd been united to Christ through faith. And so, so Paul is just kind of saying, listen, um, guys, who you are in Christ is more significant than anything else going on in your life. Did you know that, believer, that, that in the eyes of God, who you are in Jesus Christ is more significant than anything else about you? I don't know if you had a really good week as a Christian or a really discouraging week as a Christian. But you li listen, far more important than any of that is who you are, believer, in Christ right now. Because I think the Bible would say who you are in Christ that's who you are in the eyes of God. So Paul reminds them of this, and, and I would say he reminds them of three things. It's kind of uh, past, present, future. He, he, he reminds them of what God has done for them in the past through Jesus. He, he reminds them of what God is doing among them in the present. And then he reminds them of what God will do for them in, in the days to come, in the future. So we'll start with the past. What, what had God done for the uh, Christians in Corinth? Well, verse 2 says, they had been sanctified. How do you like that word? He says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, in the Bible, this word sanctified, it, it has various meanings. And you can usually discern what, what it means based on the context and in this context here, the, the, word, the word sanctified means to be set apart by God as holy or sacred in his sight. Someone's sanctified in this sense. God has sort of just set them apart and said, this person, I look at them as holy. Now, th this concept comes, it comes, it has a, a long tradition, goes way back into the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when the ancient Israelites would bring an offering to, to the tabernacle to present it to God in, in sacrificially, that offering was said, from the moment they brought it, it was said to be sanctified or consecrated, meaning that from the very moment they gave that offering to God, in the eyes of God, it was holy now. Before that moment, it had just been you know, a, a, a normal sheep running around the field with all the other sheep, eating grass, doing whatever sheep do. But when they brought it to God, God says, no, from now on, that's a holy sheep. And, you know, before that, it was, just a, it was just your average goat, right? What is an average goat? I don't know. But, but once they brought it to the tabernacle, God says, no, uh this is no longer average. This is mine. This is holy. So it, it, it was sacred now. It, it, was, it, it belonged to God, had been dedicated to his purposes. It was now sanctified. And Paul's saying to the Corinthian Christians, with all of their shortcomings, how many of you have shortcomings, right? With all of their, their struggles, how many of us have struggles? He said to them, guys, this has happened for you. You 
are sanctified. And what he meant to, to say to them, he's saying, listen, from the moment you turn from your sins and you trusted in Christ, God, from that moment on and for the rest of eternity, God set you apart and he sees you as holy. God sees you as holy. Now, here's why this is, this is really strange, because later in, later in verse 2, right after he told the, the, the Corinthians that they are holy, he reminds them that they are called to be holy to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people. Now, when Paul reminds them that uh, they're called to be holy, I think he's implying that in a lot of ways they're still not yet holy. This is a calling that still needs to be fulfilled. Like, if you, listen, if you call a mechanic to come fix your car, that means your car doesn't work, right? If you call a, a, a painter to come paint your house, it means your house needs painting. Parents, if you call your children to wash their hands before dinner, what does it mean? It just means their hands are still dirty. So if the apostle reminds them that they are called to be God's holy people, I think he's implying that what they already knew, that in many ways they were not yet holy. It was a calling on them. So... Uh, how can that be? I would say this is sort of the big question that's, that's addressed by the gospel. How, how can they be already sanctified, already holy in the eyes of God, and yet holiness is still a, a calling they have to pursue? How, how could God consider you holy when you know and God knows it? In so many ways, you're not, are you? In so many ways, you're not um, everything that God has called you to be. How can, how can this be that God would declare you to be holy when you're still growing in holiness? Well, you, you see the answer uh, in the verse 4. Paul says, grace, grace was given you in Christ Jesus. He says, I thank my God for you. Why? Because you're perfect? Because you have it all together? No. He says, I thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Paul says to these Christians with all their struggles, he says, you have been given grace. And it wasn't just for them, right? You, you know that, do you know that this is true for, listen, anyone and everyone? who turns from their sin and trusts in Christ as their Savior, even though they're still so filled with all kinds of issues and selfishness and ways they need to change. Listen, God, God gives them grace, meaning that from that moment on, God sees them as holy in his eyes. He says, your sins are forgiven. The old you is gone. The righteousness of Jesus Christ himself has been imputed to you. You are accepted. You are loved. You are, you are treasured by God now. Isn't that good news? You're sanctified. You're declared holy. Even though... You're not. That's amazing. So let me, let me just ask you, this is, a, this is a personal question, but it is a very important one. Have, have you ever just sincerely turned from your sin, recognized your brokenness before God, and placed your trust in Christ as your Savior? Listen, listen. if you have, you might, man, you might be... Um, really struggling 
with some issues in your life or in your relationships or in your family, just maybe very discouraged by that. But if you've trusted in Christ, God says, when I look at you, I see holy. When I look at you, you are in Christ now. I see his righteousness. That is, that is such good news. And I would say this, if your answer to that question is, you know, I don't think I ever... I don't think I ever really have turned from my sin and trusted in Jesus. It's interesting you ask. I don't think I have. Here's what I want you to know. You could do that today. This would be a great day to start trusting Christ, don't you think? And, and, and you would leave this building, walking out into Crescent Street, God just looking at you and saying, you are holy in my eyes. You are forgiven. You belong to me. That's such good news. And so, so before Paul gets into the nitty-gritty of the, the problems in their church, he says, let me just remind you, something that happened in the past, what God has done for you, you're sanctified. Then he reminds them of something that God is doing in the present, what, what God was doing among them at that moment. Start at verse 5, he says, for in him, that is in Christ, you, now you need to understand the you here is plural. You all, right? He's talking to the whole, them as a community. He says, in him, in Christ, you have been enriched in every way. With all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Verse 7, therefore you, again it's plural, the whole congregation, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Now, this idea of spiritual gifts is going to be fleshed out in much greater detail later in the book. This is talking about the way that, that the Holy Spirit empowers and equips uh, different ones of us in different ways so that we can all build each other up. But, but Paul is just right here, right, right off the bat, he's reminding this church, this ancient church, that despite all the problems they had, he's just reminding them that God was with them through the Holy Spirit. God was right there in their church, giving them everything that they would ever need to deal with the problems they might face. I don't know if any of you back in the 90s saw that. Remember that old movie, Apollo 13, with Tom Hanks? It's a, it's a true story of these astronauts. They're trying to go to the moon, and then everything goes wrong uh, on, on, their, uh, on their space ship, and, and things start breaking down. And there's this one scene where the, whatever was the filter that would clean carbon dioxide out of the air in the cabin broke down. And so little by little, the men, as they're breathing, more and more CO2 is going into the cabin, and they're slowly being poisoned, and they're going to die. Right? And so is that the moment where Tom Hanks gets on the radio and he, he calls the control center in Texas? I mean, he says that famous line, Houston, we have a problem, right? So he, they call the control center. The engineers in, in uh, Houston start to go back to the drawing board and figure out what to do. And they get on the radio and they, and they call up to the astronauts and they say, don't panic, boys, don't panic. They said, take, take the instruction manual and rip the cover off. Hold on to that piece of cardboard. And then, and then look, look down at your feet. You see those empty canisters? Grab those. And, and then they say, you know, get, get, just go get a roll of duct tape, all right? And then get these bags. And, and, and they talk them through just kind of putting together some kind of a, some kind of a makeshift thing that they, that they install on the machine. And, the, and, they, and, they, and they fix it. So it's kind of like they're, they're aware of this, this great distress there, and they say, Houston, we have a problem. And Houston says, yes, you do have a problem. But everything you need to solve that problem, 
is right there with you. I think it's kind of what the Apostle Paul said to that church in Corinth. You know, saying, guys, listen, I, I, I've, heard, I've heard reports about what's going on in your church, and I want you to know you've got some big problems in Corinth. But you also have a really big God with you in Corinth, right? And he's just saying, guys, your God, your God is much bigger than your problems, you, you, don't, you have everything you need to address whatever you're going to face. It's already right there with you through the Holy Spirit giving you these gifts. You don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He's just saying the Holy Spirit of God is with you. Now, you got to stick together because none of you has all the gifts. One has this gift, one has another. But if you, if you hang in there together... The Spirit of God is at work in your church. And everything, listen, everything you need to deal with whatever you face, it's already right there. Because God is already right there. Now, when you read the book of Corinth, listen, I've been in churches since I was a little baby. Maybe some of you are like that. I've been in churches my whole life. I've seen church problems. I have never seen a church as messed up as the one in Corinth. I mean, I've, I've never seen a church that was as messed up as this. And so I would say, would you agree with me that if this is true of the church in Corinth, that they had everything they needed through the Holy Spirit to deal with what they were, don't you think that's true for any and every church anywhere? This is, this is ought to encourage us. Guys, God is present in his church. God is actively at work among his people, empowering his children, listening to our prayers, speaking through his word. God is, he's here, right here in ACC. Whatever challenges we might ever face as a church in this coming year, whatever, whatever he calls us to, to accomplish for his glory. Do, do you realize, do you realize we have already in this congregation through the work of the Holy Spirit here, everything we need to do what God calls us to do. That's, that's good news too, isn't it? So Paul reminds them of what God has done for them in the past. They are declared holy. He reminds them of what God is doing among them in the present. God is right there with them. And, and then finally, in closing, he reminds them of uh, what God will do for them in the future. Let me, let me ask, how many of you would agree with me that sometimes, sometimes thinking about the future is scary? You ever feel that way? I mean, what, like, what's going to happen in this, what's, in this coming year? What's going to happen in the Middle East? We're just, I was in a youth group the other night. What a great youth group we have. And I, I realized afterwards that the kids in our youth group, they've never known a time when our nation wasn't in war over there. Their whole lives have been at war. And we're, we're on the brink of a bigger one than we've ever seen. We've got to pray about that, but it just, it's scary to think. What's going to happen with the environment in the next decade, next 20 years? You know, you, you'd, you'd have to be blind to what's happening to, to not have at least some apprehension, concern about that. Young people today are just terrified. What, what kind of world will they live in in their 60s? Now, what will it be like? And, and, and for some of you, maybe it's not fear of some kind of, you know, glo on a global scale. Maybe it's very much more personal. What's going to happen to your health in 2020? Right? What's going to happen? What's going to happen in your job or your finances? Parents, isn't this a tough world to raise kids in? 
What's going to happen when, when your kids leave home, go off to college? What's going to happen? It's so, it can be so frightening. And, and, and you know, if we're honest, if we try to answer all these questions, the only answer we can give is, what's going to happen? We don't know. But I want to tell you something here that we do know about the future. And this, anyone who's trusted in Christ knows this. It says it right here in verse 8. What will happen in the future? He God is talking about, he will keep you. Amen? He says, God will keep you firm to the end, no matter what happens, no matter what you go through, no matter what the world throws at you, God will keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's quite a promise, isn't it? it? We need to understand what this promise doesn't mean. This does not mean that you won't go through hard times. You know that you will, right? It doesn't, doesn't mean that you'll never face temptations. My goodness, we all face those. It doesn't mean that, that you'll never have to wrestle with deep doubts or dark discouragement. I, I bet some of you have already had to face some of that in, in, in this new year, right? And it doesn't mean, I don't think it means that, Christian, that you will never fall that you will never fail. Doesn't even mean that you will never wander for a season from the Lord, all right? Some of us have, have been there. But it does mean this. Listen, if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, God has placed his seal of ownership on your life. And you have been purchased by the blood of his son. You belong to God now. And I'll tell you something about God. God refuses to lose that which belongs to him. Amen. He refuses to let his children slip through his fingers and, 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 and be lost. God has given us this promise. And then verse 9 says, God is, what's the next word? Faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this is the beginning of, of this book. Um, how does Paul start? Addressing a bunch of Christians with all kinds of frailties and all kinds of difficulties and all kinds of problems. He starts by just saying, you know what, guys, before we get into all that, let me just talk to you, talk to you about something that's, listen, something that's bigger than your problems, something that's more real than your struggles, some, something that's, that's, that's uh, far more significant than any way you might be struggling with sin. He says, can I just talk to you for a minute about who you are in Jesus Christ? If you've trusted Christ, this is true about you. If you haven't, this can be true about you if you come to him today. Paul says, listen, you are holy in the eyes of God. You know, isn't that, I, I, I love that passage we read about the baptism of Jesus where, where Jesus comes out of the water. He's identified with us sinners by, by going through something he didn't have to face and, and the spirit comes down on him like a dove. And then what does the voice say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Christian, you are now in the son. So when God looks at you, he says, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. He says that about you because you're in, you're in the beloved now. So that's true about you. It's also true about us that God is at work in this church. 
Ways way beyond we can, what we can imagine. Able to do far beyond what we can envision. I, I really believe that. And it also means this. Christian, God is committed to you. He's not going to give up on you. You might feel like giving up on him. But he will not. He will keep you firm to the end. Amen? So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the good news that your word brings us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the kind of faith that would embrace that good news and make it ours and rejoice in it, and that it would strengthen us to live for the glory of Christ. We ask this in his precious name. Amen.